0: Viewed from the modern man approach of clinical psychology and psychoanalysis. So, have something nice to drink next to you, maybe a cup of tea, have a seat, or go out for a nice walk in nature, maybe. Enjoy. Hello, my friends, and... In today's talk of psychology, I will continue on the subject from two weeks ago with the baggage that we bring with us into relationships. And today I'm going to be a little bit more psychological in the term, let's say, or let's say Western maybe, because what I said two weeks ago was also psychological, but this is really more on the psycho social, economical, developmental side to things. And I wanted to make the chat from, or the episode I should say, from two weeks ago because I wanted you to have that lying with you as you move into today. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, you don't have to, but I would recommend to go and listen to that one first. And uh, you could even choose to do the other way around or whatever you want to do, really. It's up to you. So one of the things that we have to remember is that we come into this world in a certain way with the same conditions as everyone else. But in another way, absolutely not. When I say that we come with the same conditions as everyone else, what I mean, of course, is that we arrive with one focus, which is to survive, and we arrive into this world without necessarily having any understanding or knowledge, I should say, of this world. So all we want when we come out from our mother's womb is to be taken care of because we are not capable of doing that on our own. We want to be taken care of and we want to feel that we belong to the caretakers so that we ensure our survival until we are free to take care of ourselves until that let's say we have the same conditions another thing that is definitely part of everyone's psyche as well if you would listen to Carl Jung is that we're not really coming in with a blank sheet because we actually have already in our in the the conceptual let's say of the world the archetypes so um, a certain idea existing of the mother, the father, the good, the bad. And very early on, as soon as we begin to actually interact with our caretakers, we start to integrate the idea of self, the idea of what we should present to other people in order to be accepted, and the idea of what we should not present to other people in order to be accepted. What I um, mean by that, of course, is the persona, as in the image that we project, and the shadow, as in what we're trying to push into the darkness. So those things are similar to, or common to everyone come becoming. But of course, what we really need to understand is that depending on where in the world we are born, depending on what era we're in, and of course, depending on a much more local environment, if we're in a big city, if we're in a small place, if we're on the countryside, if we come into a place where we're the firstborn, or if there are other siblings already existing, if we were desired or if we were not desired, if the social, therefore, and economical context that we come into is favorable or not favorable for our arrival and for our well-being, let's say, that we live for, for our safety. All of this will have an impact on how we move on from there, which means that later on in life, we all then come from very different conditions. There are many things that are relatable, but there are also many things that are not. Very early on, and I've spoken about this before, I've spoken about it in the first episode about psychology, and I've also spoken about it when I spoke about self-image. Very early on, our nervous system begins to register what is a source of danger and what is a source of security. We have captors on our skin even that read the external environment in order to find signals of one or the other. Danger or security? So we begin with finding out if we are already in a world that seems to be favorable to our existence or not. And our nervous system, of course, registers this and brings it with us for later on. I would say that the idea of the... Conditioning of our nervous system from day one and on is essential to understanding anything else about ourselves. Because at the end of the day, we are like any other living organism existing on this planet, at least, (laughs) which means that our main drive is survival. Okay? And the nervous system has that one thing to work on, and that is survival. So, anything we do, just like I was saying actually two weeks ago, anything we do is movement, life is movement, and anything that we're moving towards, we're moving towards it because it means survival. Or as I was saying then, it means freedom or relief or safety or happiness. And what that looks like will be completely dependent on what we've registered as soon as we come into this life. Some of the early psychologists, specifically, I would say, Piaget in France, studied the development of the human, or the child, I would say, brain, and would notice when, basically through different stages, we acquired new capacities in our brain of understanding things around us, but then also just motricity, our capacity to coordinate what we do, so the whole thing of course of learning how to use our bodily functions, urination, elimination, all of that, is not acquired or is not innate. So it comes as we start to learn, as the brain evolves and that the nervous system evolves and registers new things. This also means that before the age of, let's say, school age, so some somewhere around seven years old, six, seven years old, we um, are not really capable of filtering the information that we are taking in. So everything that we take in, we take in as deadly serious and 100% personal. And naturally, as you can imagine, this leaves us with putting ourselves in the center. And unless we're taught something else later on, that vision basically stays on rest of our life, which is why, of course, as soon as anyone else around us is doing anything, we take it personally. And that takes actually some deconditioning to understand that that is not necessarily the case. And it's also, of course, the reason that when parents are separating or getting divorced as we are children, it is very common to have this belief that it was our fault. And it's also why, more in modern days than before, there is often a work through maybe some kind of therapeutical work where a therapist or psychologist, something, is speaking to the child about the fact that it's not their fault. Because actually everything that happens, we take it as, oh, it must be because of me. It's actually the primary form of narcissism. And it's essential for us in order to actually survive. This means, of course, that... Later on in life, when we start to interact with other people and we have relationships with other people, we play out the things that we learned before seven years old. (laughs) So it means that anything that we just took in 100% as truth and as personal is still within us. And as we bond with someone in adult life, what happens is that we are actually seeking, of course, the safety that we've known as children. And therefore, we will play out everything that we learned then as well. And we will feel just as exposed as we actually were when we were children, except that when we are adults, we're actually not that um, exposed. We obviously know this because as adults, we have Not only the capacity to see right from wrong, to have a critical eye to things, and to also take action and even say, hmm, actually, you know what, I'm just going to leave this interaction because it's not serving me or I'm not happy with it or whatever, and we can just walk away, take our bags and leave, which was not something that we were capable of doing before the age of seven, and even, of course, usually before the age of like 18, I guess, 18 or 20 or depending on what's the rules in the country that you're in. Yet we act as if we're still the five-year-old, seven-year-old. So what's that all about? Well, we, I've spoken about this in the self-image episode as well. We make ourselves a vision of the world according to what we learn early on. So this is once again actually coming back to the nervous conditioning or the nervous Response conditioning or the nervous system and how it's constructed, what it's registered. because of course, if we start out with the perception that we are in a safe environment, in a secure environment, then everything else that I register will kind of be according to those to that idea, which means that the filters that we will have later on in life that we look at other people and the people around us with, will also be coming kind of from that secure perception of the world, that we are actually living in, in a safe world. But if it's starting out with, okay, it doesn't really feel as if the world is here to keep me safe, but it's actually more as if there's a lot of traps of danger around me, then that is how I will perceive the world later on. And this is, of course, why it's also become um, such a big thing to work on trauma in adult age. Because, of course, trauma is not necessarily famine or war or um, sexual abuse as children, uh, or any time. Not necessarily children, but I'm talking about childhood trauma. Trauma is actually something that comes in to disrupt the way that my organism is evolving and that creates a split within us. It is a moment where we're facing something that is not seemingly natural to our organism and therefore we will have resistance and we will create a blockage and then the rest of the evolution of our nervous system and our person will take uh, will adapt into that and then continue anyway and so a little bit like you know when you see sometimes out in nature a tree or something that has grown in a strange way because it was placed or it it, it was born, let's say, at um, uh, at the foot of a hill or something. And so in order to follow that hill or the mountain and in order to access more sunlight, for instance, it will take this kind of strange turn. I think you see what I mean. We could say then that actually the hill or the mountain represents a traumatic experience and that the tree is your organism then uh, adapting into it and taking a new turn. And so we could also look at ourselves a little bit as these strangely formed trees walking around, if you will. Actually, it is a strength for most people who've been through trauma later on in life If they have managed to find ways then to adapt to the situation and to continue the evolution, which will not have been then very linear, but instead going in all kinds of ways. And if a person who's then going through trauma manages to develop a strong resilience to the external things that happens to us, the events, the situations that can be traumatic, then those are often as well the people who have a very strong drive in finding liberation in whatever way that looks to them. What I mean by that is the tree will still be resilient as it you know, grows this strange way, in order to access the sunlight anyway, in order to become a fully grown tree. And often it means then that, for instance, its trunk is thicker maybe than the trees that have, have grown you know, straight up and all of that. And what that means is that because they have chosen to develop resilience, in Swedish we have a beautiful expression for that. We call it, um, if I would translate it into English, we call it dandelion children. So the dandelion flower, which is actually seen as a herb that you need to get rid of, I don't remember the word in English right now, can grow out of the asphalt, for instance. That is what resilience is. Resilience is not only adapting into the situation, but also using the situation and the way you have to adapt in order to thrive in it instead. Anyway, coming back to our seven-year-old who have still just integrated everything as if everything that I was taught was 100% true and personal. Naturally, I will have developed a relationship to my caretakers and anyone else around me. And I have learned then that This is how I relate to women. This is how I relate to men. This is how I relate to people who are older than me. This is how I relate to people who are the same age as me or younger than me. And then also, this is how they relate to me. And this is how a couple should relate to one another. If I look at my caretakers, for instance. And once again, coming back to the social, economical, psychological, context that I came into will of course then determine what these different relationships look like, remembering once again the episode from two weeks ago that life in itself is actually a relationship. So this means this is what life looks like. That is the human being that I will develop into as an adult. So once I start to interact with people and bonding relationships now it's not necessarily love relationships only it is a question of all kinds of relationships but of course the romantic ones are the ones that going to be most probably the most intimate ones because those are the ones where we tend to bond physically as well and we tend to make a choice of intimacy exclusively with this person and so well Linked to many other things as well and what we've been told what it should be like or look like whatever but it's also where we then allow for ourselves to kind of be vulnerable because the idea would be that this other person is going to accept me no matter what when it comes to the other relationships that we have maybe friendships as well but a little bit less because they're a little bit uh, less intimate and we are not necessarily unless we are you know eight-year-old girls with bffs we're not necessarily saying you are exclusively the only person that i have this kind of relationship with the other ones will less represent this cocoon of what we experienced as small children which means that what happens in the situation is kind of as if we're going back to the time before we got critical in our thinking. And so we will play out everything that we saw then and everything that we were taught then. This means, and I want to put an emphasis on that as well, it means, of course, how we saw our parents relate to one another and how we would relate to our parents. But it also means very much when it comes to how I relate to people that are around me. Let me explain that one. We are deeply ingrained with the feeling of shame from very early on in life. And the feeling of shame has one really good tool. (laughs) Good is obviously being ironic. And that is comparison. And so very early on in life, we learn to compare ourselves to other people. Now, very often we learn very quickly to not try to compare ourselves to our caretakers. There's a little bit of a game playing there at one point, And if we would look into Freud and the Oedipus complex, there would be a time where we desired the parent of the opposite sex and wanted to kill basically the parent of the same sex. And then once we've gone through this triangulation of Oedipus, um, we resolve it by turning ourselves towards the same sex parents instead and compare ourselves to them in the sense that wanting to be like them however when it comes to siblings when it comes to other people around in the context of the family but also how we see our parents position themselves to other people we are constantly analyzing how they are comparing themselves to each other and how we are comparing ourselves to our siblings and later on of course as well to our peers because what this means is what is my value and the thing is once I've established what my value is whether it's high or low or somewhere in between while I'll get into relationships romantically with other people this will play out as one of my biggest fears and this is very often the source of vulnerability in the relationship with the romantic partner because it will go through stages as I go into relationships with this other person where I will not show my vulnerability to begin with. And then the more I feel actually safe with the person, the more I will start to reveal this. And it comes back to what I spoke about in an earlier episode about trust As well, of course, so it takes some time before we get there. And don't misjudge or misunderstand the very openness that we can seem to have in the beginning of a relationship is not to be mistaken for vulnerability, because it's not. It is much more a question of what I'm presenting to you, because I believe that this is what will make you have you, okay? The actual um, vulnerable side of ourselves comes much, much later on. And I would even say that a lot of couples never even get there. They will continue playing the roles without being completely truthful with each other. And what does that look like in the relationship? Well, it looks like defense mechanisms that we use of trying to cover up our deepest fear, which is shame basically trying to not show that when we compare ourselves to others we are placing very often ourselves in an inferior grade or whatever I should call that so we'd want to cover that up which is why we call it a defense and then we use it in all kinds of different ways knowingly that the one of the um, most evolved defense mechanisms is humor right we make a joke And so there's actually a lot of people, a lot of couples even, who never really talk about anything serious, but it's always on this kind of easygoing surface level and a little bit of jokes. And as soon as someone is trying to go a little bit deeper down, they will most probably get a joke back or some kind of, you know, teasing. And that is a defense mechanism. You are not being vulnerable. You're not going into depth with the other person at all. So... Actually accepting oneself for who we truly are is something that really doesn't happen very early. And it doesn't, some people, it never really happens. And then we start to develop other things instead in order to kind of compensate for that. And so as I am saying all these words, you are looking at yourself maybe, and you might be recognizing some things. But what you'd really need to remember then is that it is exactly the same thing for the other person. And this is where it becomes difficult. (laughs) and this is where i'll, you know, talk about that maybe in another episode or whatever because then we could go into looking at how we project things to one another. But what i wanted to say with this is that when you come into a relationship with another person, most specifically in the romantic kinds, don't kid yourself that you come completely open and that you see the other person for who they truly are. Because not only don't you, because you've got your own baggage with you, but they won't let you because they've got their own baggage with them. And that might take years before anything starts to really unfold. And I'd say that this is why conflictual relationships might sometimes actually lead to something more truthful. Yeah, now that was a strange one. But why do I say that? Well, because... It is maybe a little bit less in the defense of just showing my persona than if you will or whatever, you know, what I think that you want me to see and then playing out um, stuff from childhood. Now, if the other person is still there and then we play that out to one another and it might look really messy, at least what is happening is that we are kind of letting our guard down. And of course, the only way that something can evolve from this is then if we progressively decide to work together towards resolving that and towards actually stopping the fighting and then becoming vulnerable, really showing the deep wound inside and then accepting that to one another. Pretending that everything is always super easy, I would say, in my view, it's not necessarily two people being properly intimate with one another. Please feel free to leave a comment. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast and this episode. I am very grateful. If you enjoyed this and you think that other people could enjoy this, please help me to spread the word. Share this episode on any channel that you have of social media or messaging. And even more so, I would really appreciate if you know one other person who might benefit from my words today specifically. Take that one minute it takes to simply share this episode with one person. Remember that there's a human being on the other side of your phone, of your Earpods of this microphone. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what I've been talking about. So please leave a comment. Send me a message directly if you wish. This is Charlotte. This is me. See you next time. Namaste.